Hey, Christ community, really glad that all of you are here today. Um, God has already been doing some really cool stuff in our church this weekend, and so I'm really glad you're, you're a part of that. So, you know, when I think about, we all love stories, when I think about one of my favorite stories of all time, it's got to be Lord of the Rings, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, the story of, of this ordinary hobbit named Frodo who, who really gets, gets kind of pulled into this, this great adventure, bigger story than, than he's aware of at the time, right? But he's pulled into this journey of personal growth and of true friendship and self-sacrifice and these epic battles of, of good versus evil. I mean, I love that story. We love that story. Some of you have watched the extended version, you know, spent entire weekends watching the extended version. I mean, that story never gets old. It never, it never gets old. And there's a reason for that. It's because Frodo's story is our story. Frodo's story is our story. It's, it's a picture of God's invitation to us in following Jesus. Christianity is so much more than praying some prayer, you know, to receive Jesus or whatever. No, no. As we have seen over the past several months in our study of the book of Ephesians, to be a Christian, is, it's literally to be pulled into a great adventure of, of being God's beloved sons and daughters, of being adopted into his family, being transformed by him and called to bring his love and his light into different areas of our lives so that we actually become like Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul has been describing for five chapters, the first five chapters of this letter. But in the final, in the final chapter, chapter six, Paul reveals to us that just like Frodo, this great adventure that we're involved in, this great adventure involves us being a part of an epic battle of good versus evil. We're in a battle. So look at how Paul describes this beginning in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So in the midst of this journey of walking with God and being a part of God's good purposes, Paul wants us to know that we have a very real enemy. He identifies him here. Our enemy is the devil. The devil is a real being. He is the personification of evil, of everything that, is, that opposes God. That's his goal, to disrupt, to corrupt, to pervert, to thwart God's good kingdom from advancing through you and me. The devil wants to derail us from this glorious adventure that Christ has invited us into. And so Jesus, he talked a lot about the devil. Jesus believed in the devil. He talked a lot about him. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, the thief, he's talking about the devil, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. That's what he does. That's his job description, and he's really good at it. He's been practicing for a very long time. Now, what makes this struggle, this battle, so challenging is that, as Paul says here, it's occurring in a realm that we can't see. Think about that. We're in the midst of a battle, but it's actually occurring in a realm that we can't see. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is not our neighbor or our boss or our spouse or our congressperson or whatever. No, our enemy is this evil being who exists in the unseen realm. He exists in the unseen realm. And in this realm, Paul says... There are powers, there are authorities, there are rulers, there are spiritual forces of evil, there's a hierarchy. Uh, Satan, the devil, is the CEO, and, and every, there's this hierarchy under him. 
And, and this sounds so much like the Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? But it's real. It's real. The devil has this army of evil forces made up of demons who serve him and do his bidding, whispering lies, orchestrating temptation, stirring up dissension, fueling our bitterness. They are very busy trying to disrupt what God wants to do in our lives and in our relationships and our family and our school and our workplace, our church, our city, our world. But again, they are not flesh and blood. So we have to be able to recognize we have to be able to recognize and discern when they're up to their evil schemes. And usually, usually it is not obvious. Sometimes it's really obvious. Almost, usually it is not obvious. They don't show up on your front door, you know, with a pitchfork and, and, and horns, you know. Um, it, it's much more subtle because, again, it's in the spirit realm. So a friend of mine, um, of Raylene and mine, just told my wife a couple days ago that they just had their kitchen floors redone. And they, they loved it, looked great, everything looked great. Um, what they didn't realize was that one of the workers in putting the kitchen floor in had accidentally punched a hole in their water line. Um, so for three months, they didn't realize this. So for three months, water is leaking and they didn't know it until their basement ceiling completely collapsed. And then they knew. Okay, um, that, that is exactly, that's a picture of how the enemy works. He is subtle. He is scheming. Little lies that we believe, small actions that we take that seem harmless at the time, but over time they bring incredible destruction. He and his minions are constantly trying to hinder us in this adventure that God has called us to. So we gotta be able to fight this enemy. We gotta be able to fight. But again, it's a, it's a realm we can't see. So how do we fight this enemy? Well, in this passage, Paul shows us how. There are two absolutely critical elements to our experiencing victory over the enemy's schemes. Element number one, we must stand in the Lord's strength. You must stand in the Lord's strength. Multiple times in this passage, Paul uses this term, he tells us to stand our ground. Look at verse 13. So when the day of evil comes, in other words, when Satan does his thing, is doing his thing, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. See, notice, this is not about us going to look for a fight. It's not about us looking for the enemy. And, and I know some Christ followers, they kind of are into that and they're sort of looking for this spirit and territorial dad and blah, blah, blah kind of looking for a fight. I'm not comfortable with that, okay? That's not what this is talking about. It's not about us looking for a fight, nor is it about us cowering in fear. Oh, no. You know, it's not about us cowering in fear. No, no. It's about us standing our ground. It's about us standing our ground. When the devil and his demons are doing their thing, stirring up evil, this is about us being immovable. It's about us being unwavering in the battle. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, look at verse 10. In fact, read this with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, in this battle, we don't stand in our own strength. We stand in God's strength. Ultimately, this battle is not ours. It is the Lord's. It is God's battle. And here's why this is so important. God is way more powerful than the devil. 
God is way more powerful than the devil. This is not a, a situation of God and Satan in the boxing ring, and they're kind of duking it out, and we're not sure who's going to win, you know, equally matched opponents. No, 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 absolutely not. God is the creator of all things, including Satan. Our God is Lord of the universe. He is Lord of the universe. He is sovereign. He is all power. He, he is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. He can be everywhere at the same time. Satan can't do that. The devil is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. And this is why he needs demons who do most of his dirty work. The devil is a created being who chose to rebel against God and because of that was kicked out of God's presence and is now trying to wreak havoc on earth. Again, God is way more powerful than the devil, but the devil is way more powerful than you and me. <laughs> The devil is way more powerful than you and me. It's interesting that Paul is writing, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, um, this letter, the, the, the believers in the city of Ephesus. And we know from the book of Acts um, that Paul actually spent two years in this city. And in Acts 19, we see about, we read about some of the things that happened while Paul was there. Um, and one of the things that happened, there were these, the seven sons of a local priest named Sceva who had seen Paul casting out demons. And they thought that was pretty cool. They'd like to do that. And so, so they, they thought, oh, we'll just use the same language that Paul uses. And so they came up to this demonized man and they said, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Again, they'd seen Paul do this. They just decided to recite the same words, but they got a little different result. So the evil spirit, the evil spirit within this man said, I know Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Um, and he beat them up. So they ran away naked and battered. Seriously, who says the Bible is boring? I mean, come on. This is in the Bible. You can read it in there. Okay, but seriously, this is, this is, this is, this is critical. Satan and his demons are not to be messed with on our own. They're not. They are not to be messed with on our own. Earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul describes the devil in this way. He says, the devil is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Notice, every person on earth is under the devil's influence. Every person on earth is under his influence, even though most don't realize it. Which brings us back to Paul's point. The only way to stand against the devil is to have God on your side. It's to find your strength in God, to rest not on your power, but on his power. Now, this power of God um, was on display and unleashed in an amazing way at the cross, where the devil thought he had won. I mean, he, he got people to kill God's son. He thought he had won the victory. And so Jesus then rose from the dead, defeating death, and along with it, defeating the devil. And not just defeating him. I love the language. Check out this language of how the Apostle Paul describes this defeat in Colossians chapter 2. Listen to this. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, in other words, this list of all the sins we've committed so that we're guilty, that whole long list, Jesus has taken that list, he has taken it away, tearing it up, nailing it to the cross and leaving it there. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he disarmed them. 
He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Okay, so the other day, I played someone in cornhole, okay? I like cornhole, and I'm, okay, I'm pretty good. All right, no, but, uh, but anyway. So I played this person in cornhole, and I'm just saying... I sort of made a public spectacle of him, okay? I just did. Um, um, and and, and I, I could have invoked the skunk rule if I, you know, wanted to, 11-0, game over. But, but you know, I almost started to feel sorry for him. Almost, okay. Uh, but, but anyway, so, so here's the point. To make a public spectacle of someone is not just to win. It is to demolish them. It is to demolish them. That's what Christ has done on the cross, and in his resurrection, he made a public spectacle of the devil, triumphing over him in a huge way. And here's the incredible news. That triumph is accessible to anyone, to anyone who chooses to humble themselves and receive Jesus personally, placing their trust in Christ's work on the cross and in his resurrection. When we do that, we are adopted into his family. He comes to live in us. His authority is now delegated to us. That all happens when we place our trust in him. So here's the deal. Without Christ, without Christ, you and I have no chance of standing up to the devil's schemes. If you don't have Christ, you have no chance of standing up against this, these schemes of this devil, this powerful being in the spirit room. No chance. We're toast, but with Christ, we are able to stand in his strength, which is why Paul says to us, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. This is his battle. He has already won the victory. This isn't about your strength. This is about his power, his strength. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Okay, that is an amazing truth, but it is not the entire strategy. It's not the entire picture. And unfortunately, some Christians stop right there. They stop right there and they say, oh, cool. God's got this. It's his battle. I don't need to do anything. But that's not true. There's another absolutely critical aspect to us being able to stand against the devil's schemes. And that is that we have got to, secondly here, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Look with me at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Jumping down to verse 13. Therefore, here we go again. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, in other words, when Satan's doing his thing, you and his demons or whatever, they're doing their thing in your life, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. See, notice, this is really important. Our ability to stand in the midst of whatever the devil is throwing our way hinges upon something we must do. Our ability to stand hinges upon something we must do. We must put on the full armor of God. God has provided this amazing protective armor for us but we have to put it on. It doesn't do any good sitting in the closet. It doesn't do, it may be amazing armor, but it doesn't do any good for us sitting in the closet. If we're not regularly putting on this protective armor that God has provided for us, 
we're a sitting duck for the devil's activity. We're just a sitting duck. We're just passively letting him do what he wants. And then we wonder why fear seems to be taking a greater hold in our lives. Or we wonder why some temptation is like kicking our butt. Or, or, or we wonder why we just kind of feel this increasingly heavy blanket of discouragement or despair. Or maybe we have this increasing sense of apathy in our relationship with God. We don't, want to, we don't really want to pray. We don't want to go to church. We don't want to read the Bible. It's just kind of this apathy. We wonder what, what's going on. Well, one possibility is right here. Are you and I actively, intentionally, putting on the armor that God has provided for us. And if not, why not? Why not? We put on bug spray when we know there are West Nile carrying mosquitoes around, right? We put on bug spray when we know there are dangerous mosquitoes, but some of us don't do anything to protect ourselves against the enemy of our souls who, whose primary goal is to destroy you and me. But we don't do anything. Now, when you look at the armor that Paul mentions, you realize every piece of armor he mentions has a specific, it reveals a specific strategy of the enemy and how to resist him. And so instead of just kind of going through the list, which you've probably heard sermons like that, we're just going to go through the list, which is totally fine. But I'm going to do something a little different. I want to, I want to go through the list in terms of strategies. There are four strategies that this armor reveals, okay? So first strategy the enemy uses against us is deception. Deception. Jesus, again, Jesus talked about the devil all the time. In John chapter 8, Jesus, this is one thing he said. He said the devil is a murderer, and then he said the devil is a liar. And Jesus actually said when the devil lies, he is speaking his native language. In other words, if the devil is speaking, he's lying. If he is speaking, if his lips are moving, he's lying. You can be assured of that. This is exactly how he got Eve to choose to rebel against her loving creator in the Garden of Eden where she had everything she would ever want. This is how Satan got her to rebel. He did not take a piece of fruit from the tree God said, stay away from for her own good, stay away from. He did not take a piece of fruit and cram it down her throat. Come on, ugh. you know, he didn't do that. That's not how he operates. What he did was he just casually suggested, hey, you know, that fruit looks pretty good. And did God really tell you to stay away because he's kind of, you're, you're missing out if you don't do that. You're kind of missing out on something. He, he, God's, you're, God's sort of a killjoy. He just didn't tell you everything. And so he, you know, and so he, he got her believe, to believe this lie that she was missing out on something. Her good God was withholding from her. So in that moment, she believed the lie the fruit looked really good. She took some and ate it. She rebelled against this God who loved her and had provided everything she needed. And Satan was doing high fives, right? He, he, he was doing it. It was so easy. He didn't have to lift a finger. He did not have to lift a finger. This is exactly how the devil and his demons wreak so much havoc in our lives. They whisper lies to us. They don't force us to do things. They whisper lies. And here's the deal. These lies, they sound true to us. They actually feel true. So we even think there are thoughts sometimes because they just feel true. But they're not true. They're not true. So I could talk about a number of lies, but here's just one example. One example of a lie that I think a lot of us in the body of Christ regularly believe. Here's the lie. Don't tell anyone about what you're struggling with. 
Don't tell anyone about your marriage that's kind of falling apart. Don't tell anyone about this sin that's going on. Just, just keep it a secret. Don't tell anyone. They wouldn't understand anyway. You can handle this on your own. Oh, man. The devil loves to get us to isolate. He loves to get us to stay in hiding. Because he knows when we're in isolation, we make an easy target. And not only that, he knows that when we isolate, we're removing ourselves from where healing is found. Healing is found from opening our, opening our, our hearts and admitting our need. Pray for me, help me. You know, that's, that's what the body of Christ is all about. It's not about hiding. It's about being open with each other. Satan knows that. So whatever he can do, whisper lies, don't tell anyone. That whole independent kind of spirit thing, don't tell anyone. You can handle this. You're fine on your own. You don't need relationships. You don't need a small group. You don't need that stuff. It's just lies. It's lies, and it impacts us in significant ways because we isolate just because of that lie. So Raylene and I, my wife Raylene and I do um, just some prayer ministry um, with people um, through our Hope Abounds prayer ministry here at church. And, and in almost every struggle, we meet with people, and any struggle they come to us with, so it's anxiety or depression or addiction or whatever, whatever struggle they come with, there is always, there is always a lie that they are believing under the surface. And, and usually it's a lie that got whispered to their heart when they were children, when they were a child, growing up in a vulnerable place, something happened to them, a place of pain or whatever. And it may have been in adulthood as well, but it's usually a place of pain. And there's a lie that gets whispered that they have been believing for years. It's not like they consciously said, okay, right now I'm going to embrace this lie. It's just got whispered in that moment and it totally made sense. Totally made sense. Like, yeah, I'm on my own. If that happened to me, I'm on my own. If I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of myself, I have to, I have to take, if I'm gonna take care, I'm gonna have to take care of myself. I'm on my own. Or, or I am, I'm, not, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of love. It's another lie. Here's, an, here's one. I am unacceptable just the way I am, so I have to perform. I have to be perfect. See, these are lies that get whispered in our pain, and they're like a, they're like a, a little puncture in our water line. We don't notice anything at the time. It's not obvious at the time, but over months, over years, that lie wreaks havoc. That lie wreaks havoc and causes all sorts of things to eventually collapse. So the coolest thing is, after we've, in the prayer time, after we've, uh, Jesus has has, uh, uh, made them aware of the lie, and we've called it out, and we have them renounce it, and renounce the lie in the name of Jesus. After that, then, this is the coolest part, the prayer time, we just have them ask Jesus, Okay, just ask Jesus, Jesus, what's the truth that you want me to know? And they hear Jesus whisper words of love and affirmation into that place where the enemy has whispered shame. It is, the change is palpable. The change is palpable. Truth has that kind of power. Truth has that kind of power. It's not complicated. And this is why Paul mentions three pieces of armor related to truth. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth. This first piece of armor, it's kind of the one that held everything else together. The belt of truth buckled around your waist. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. This is about truth as we're going to see. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the word of God, the truth in God's word. So if the enemy is constantly lying to us, or he has us believing a lie for however long, if he's been lying to us, our primary weapon against that, we don't have to freak out. It's not complicated. Our primary weapon against that is just to call out the lie. I see you, 
and I'm not believing you anymore. I'm not partnering with you anymore. I see this lie. I renounce this lie. And instead, in that moment, we renounce the lie and we embrace the truth of who we are in Christ, of what God's word says about us or what God's spirit is saying to us. Now, I do need to point out, sometimes his whispers are actually true. Uh, You know, the name Satan literally means accuser. That's what his name means. That's what he does. He accuses. He accuses. And sometimes he's accusing things that are actually true of us. And this is what makes him such a slime ball. I'm sure we've all experienced this, but here, here's what he does. So on one end, he, he loves to tempt us. Hey, you got to check this out. Do this. Right. So he loves to tempt us on this side. So he's, you know, whispering this temptation, whatever, these lies. And then when we give in, what does he do on this side? You jerk. You are such a failure. You are such a miserable Christian. How could you do that? He's the one that did it on this side and that tempted us. And then he, he, he condemns us on the other side. And some of the things that he says to us in this place, you're a failure, it's actually true. You messed up, that's actually true. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? This is where the helmet of salvation becomes so important. Because think about what does a helmet cover? It covers our minds. Our helmet covers our thoughts. So that when the enemy starts putting these condemning and accusing thoughts into our minds, things that might actually be true, we can just say, you know what? You are absolutely right. I am a failure. But Jesus took care of that. So why don't you go talk to him about it? Go talk to him about it. I'm loved. Amen. Yeah. I'm loved permanently in him. I'm loved permanently in him. So go talk to Jesus about it. So see, all three of these pieces of armor, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the, 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 the sword of the spirit, those are all rooted in truth. They're rooted in truth. And here's the cool thing. We can put on these pieces of armor. This is not complicated. We can put on any of these pieces of armor anytime, 24-7. And here's how. Here's how we do it. You just stop and ask. If something's, you sense something's going on here or whatever, stop and ask, Jesus, is there a lie that I'm believing right now? And then, if something comes to our mind, yep, there's a lie, we renounce the lie, we call it out, we renounce the lie, and then we say, Jesus, would you speak to what, What's the truth you want to give me in exchange for this lie? And we listen to him through his word, through his spirit, and we embrace that truth. It's putting on truth. Second strategy of the enemy is temptation. Temptation. Um, he tempts us to disobey God, to choose our way over God's way. Temptation comes in many forms, but it always, always, always begins with a thought. Always. <laughs> it comes in many forms, but it always begins with a thought in our mind that stirs, it kind of connects with a desire in our heart to gratify self in some way, to find life in something other than the God. And the more we nurse that thought, the more we nurse that fantasy, that desire, the greater pull we feel toward that thing, which is why we need to regularly put on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate protects our heart, right? A breastplate protects our heart, our heart, from a biblical perspective, our heart is that place where our affections, where our desires are housed. So righteousness, this word righteousness, don't freak out, it's a long word, but it, it, righteousness is just choosing to do what is right. It is choosing to do what is right, what is good. It is choosing to tap into that deeper desire for God, 
which is deeper than any other desire. We may feel this desire for a temptation, this sin or whatever, but deeper than that desire is this longing for God. That's what we ultimately long for. These other things are just seductive imitations that are trying to go after our heart. So to put on the breastplate of righteousness is to surrender to Jesus in that moment and to choose in his strength to do what is right, even when everything within us wants to do something that we know is wrong. We can call out to Jesus in that moment, Jesus, help me. We can call out to Jesus in that moment for his help to resist this temptation. We're putting on righteous, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, that's good when that happens, but let me tell you a way, actually, that's way more effective in terms of the breastplate of righteousness. There's something you can do with a breastplate that's way more effective than that, that in the moment. Here's what, here's what I recommend. What's even better is, when possible, is for us to put on the breastplate of righteousness before we get into that situation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness before you get into that, that situation. So I know, I've mentioned it before, I know, I know my own vulnerability to pornography. So I have put up significant guardrails in my life, filters on my computer, filter on my phone, Raylene has the password. I know my vulnerability. If I had access to that, I was by myself, had access to that, I just know what I would do. I know my vulnerability. So for me, for me, putting on the breastplate of righteousness is done way ahead of time. It is done way ahead of time. And here's what I know from personal experience. Those decisions to put on that breastplate, whether it's in the moment, in the midst of the temptation, or it's done ahead of time, those decisions to put on the breastplate of righteousness, those decisions protect my heart in a significant way. They protect my heart. Because, and I'm guessing you can relate to this, but I, what I know in my own life, giving into sin deadens my heart. Those choices, they deaden my heart. I lose my sense of joy. I lose my sense of freedom. It steals that. I, I, I kind of start to lose my desire for God. What's the use, you know? I just know what happens. Those decisions deaden my heart. I need that breastplate of righteousness guarding my heart, and you do too. We all need this breastplate guarding our heart because the heart is, it's the core of our spiritual life. Everything flows out of the heart. Guard your heart, Proverbs says. Okay, third strategy the enemy uses is dissension. Dissension. Oh, he loves to stir up relational dissension, but we don't usually see, we, we think of his activity in terms of temptation, you know, like I just described, but we rarely see his activity in this whole area of relationships, which is, he loves it. He loves the fact that we don't really see it because it happens all the time. He is so good at this. Here's how it works. He starts small. He starts small. And it usually is with someone hurting our feelings. Someone says something, does something, they hurt our feelings. And we don't deal with it. So a little hole gets punched in the water line. And over time, bitterness starts to settle into our heart. We begin to withdraw from this person. We actually start to judge them. Oh, that person is so fill in the blank. They're so insensitive. They're so rude. They're so, you know, we just, we judge them. And then we start to feel contempt towards them. We want to like them. We, we can feel contempt towards them. And then it eventually gets to the place where we tell everyone else what a jerk they are. Right? So now we're just spreading it. We're, we're spreading this dissension. And, uh, and, and Satan loves it. He hasn't lifted a finger. 
and he has brought about all this dissension. We start to view this person, it's our boss, our spouse, our, our coworker, our parent, or whatever. We view them as the enemy, but they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. They're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy, but often we don't even realize he's at work, and Satan loves it. He's able to do all this stuff totally under the radar. He gets so much bang for the buck because we don't even recognize that he's at work stirring this up. So families split up, work environments get terrible, marriages break up, churches split. It's really, from Satan's perspective, it's a pretty impressive strategy, um, seriously, because of how much damage he does. And no one, or often we don't even realize he's at work, how much damage he does. So what's the armor we put on? I love this. I love this. Paul says in verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. See, because of the gospel, because of the gospel, what Jesus has done on the cross for us, we... In, in, in reconciling us with God, bringing peace in, in this relationship, because of the gospel, what we've experienced, we can be people who bring peace into our relationships. We, we, can, we, we can run to the cross where Jesus has forgiven us. We, we can run to the cross with Jesus' help. We can choose to forgive a person who hurt us because Jesus has forgiven us. Even though it doesn't make any sense, we can choose to forgive. We can choose, because of the cross, we can choose to speak the truth in love rather than letting anger take root. We can be the first to apologize, the first to move towards a person, even if we're not the one who they started it or whatever. We can be the first one to move towards them because Jesus took the initiative with us. He didn't wait for us. Again, putting on the gospel of peace. And here's what I love. I love this imagery of our feet being fitted with peace, the gospel of peace, because what it means, I love this image, Wherever we go, wherever we walk, wherever we interact with people in the midst of this society that is so polarized and angry, in the midst of that, we as Christ followers, we can choose to be people of peace. We can choose to put on the gospel of peace in our relationships, in our difficult relationships, in our conflicts. We can be that kind of a person because of the gospel, which is so awesome. It's so awesome because it makes Satan so irritated. And it's just awesome to make him irritated, okay? Um, we're calling him out for what he's doing, and we're doing the opposite. All this conflict in our world and spewing on social media, we can put on peace. We can put on peace. Um, I have recently seen three marriages that were headed for divorce, and I'm not just talking about, they were talking about divorce, we're talking about lawyers were being called, that kind of thing. Three marriages transformed by the power of the gospel of peace. I've seen it with my own eyes. I love it when Satan doesn't get his way. I love it when Satan doesn't get his way. Yeah, amen. Let's, let's make that happen more often, that he doesn't get his way with the gospel of peace. Final strategy the enemy loves to use is fear. Fear. Um, this is huge. Fear is to Satan what faith is to God. Satan loves fear. He loves to get us to be afraid. Fear is to Satan what faith is to God. He loves, Satan loves to get us to fear. And here's why. It's because when we're afraid, it means we're not trusting God. You cannot do both of those things at the same time. <laughs> 
So when we're afraid, it means we're trusting in something else. We're not trusting in God. So how do we combat fear? Look at verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is such a vivid picture. The shield that Paul refers to here, the specific language he uses, this was not a little handheld uh, Captain America kind of shield. It was, it was not a, a little shield you would hold on like this and maneuver this way. No, the, 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 the language he uses here, this was a huge shield. This was like a concave door. It was like a concave door. So a soldier carrying this heavy shield, but the soldier would place that in the ground and then find refuge under it. Great picture. Because that's exactly what we need when the enemy is shooting these flaming arrows at us. Right? The, the flaming arrows that Paul's referring to here, those are arrows that are set on fire so that when they, 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 do, when they land, they do more damage than just the arrowhead. The goal is that they would find something flammable that would catch fire and then it would spread. And isn't that exactly how fear works in our lives? Seriously, think about it. This is exactly how fear operates in our lives. We give it a little ground... And the next thing we know, it's taking up huge chunks of territory. Just the way it works. It's like a grass fire that spreads. So a number of years ago, I remember I was sitting on an airplane with my daughter. She was probably I don't know, 11 or 12 or something. We were flying to California. It was just me and her. We were, our, our seats were up pretty close to the front, like row five, four or five or something. And I just remember we'd gotten in, got seated. Everyone was seated. And when they shut the cabin door... I had, this, I had this feeling of panic wash over me. I can't get out of here. And it just, you know, just kind of, it, it, it hit me. Um, this fear, this, this panic, I can't get off. Um, and and, and I, I kind of shoved it down. I was with my daughter. I, had to, I got to handle this, you know. So I shoved it down. I made it through the flight. But afterwards, afterwards, as I was thinking about that, my thought was, I'm never going to be able to fly again. No more mission trips, no more vacations in beach areas unless we can drive there. See, Satan wanted to use that initial feeling of panic. It was just an initial feeling of panic. But he wanted to use that initial feeling of panic to spread a grass fire of fear in my life. And he almost did, so that, so that I would choose to withdraw from all sorts of life-giving experiences God had for me. Well, thankfully, I kind of figured out what was going on, and I dealt with some anxiety before. So I realized what was happening, and I dealt with the initial fear. Okay, I'm feeling panic. Big deal. Let's just kind of float through it rather than, oh, no, what's happening? But, you know, that's what happened. It just kind of fear breeds fear, and that's what Satan wants, and he wants it to be a grass fire, and I just didn't let it do that. I've, I've flown all around the world um, since then on mission trips and all sorts of things. So to take up the shield of faith is to choose to find rest and refuge in the promises and the character of God, which is a huge shield. It is a huge shield. But again, we have to choose to take refuge under it. We have to choose to take refuge in it, to trust God, to lean on his character, to believe his word when fear tries to creep into our lives and rob us of joy and peace and freedom. We have to choose to keep putting that on, to keep putting that on and take refuge in that shield. So, I mean, folks, God has provided us with, with these powerful pieces of armor. 
to help us stand against this enemy who is invisible. We don't see them, see him and his minions. To help us stand against the, the enemy's schemes in our lives, his deception, his temptation, dissension, fear, all that stuff. God has given us this amazing protective armor, but here's the, here's the deal. We have to take up the armor. We, it doesn't do any good in our closet. We have to take up the armor. And this is not a one-time thing. Oh yeah, I remember hearing a sermon three years ago and I prayed a prayer to put on the armor and I'm good. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. This is a decision we have to make multiple times a day. Multiple times a day. When the devil is doing his thing, trying to disrupt and distract and divide and discourage, stir up fear, all the things that we see, we're now going to see that he's doing, when the devil is trying to stir up all that stuff, we have God-given weapons to use. Amazing weapons. The question is, are we going to take up this armor and stand in God's strength? That's the question. All right, let's pray. So I want us to, this is the most important part of the message right here. It's when we're going to talk to Jesus about this and what Jesus is saying to each one of us here. So I want to give space to respond, various responses that I'm just going to lead you into. So first response, there may be some of you here, and you know what you need is Jesus living inside of you. And maybe you're sitting there, you're not sure. Maybe you've never stepped across the line of faith and received Jesus into your life. I'm not talking about going to church, being a good person. I'm talking about saying, I need you, Jesus. I need your forgiveness. Come live in me. So if that's you and you don't know if Jesus lives in you, man, let's take care of this because you need him in this battle. You need him. So if that's you, just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. I've done my own thing. And as a result, I'm separated from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place. Jesus, you paid the penalty for me. And so I choose to place my trust in you completely. I now receive your life in exchange for my sin. Come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Forgive all of my sin and change me from the inside out through the power of your love. Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this amazing relationship with you to be strong in you. I pray if you, if you did pray that prayer, tell someone, let someone know. It's a big deal. Let someone know before you leave today. And also encourage you to check out Alpha. Great next step in this journey with Jesus. The Alpha course you just, you heard about earlier. Okay, second area here. For all of us who know Christ, I want to encourage you. We're just going to ask Jesus some questions and we're going to just practice putting on some armor here, Okay. So just quiet your heart. Lord, I just pray for all of our hearts to be at rest and peace right now. In the name of Jesus, just bring our hearts and minds to peace and rest. Okay, so now, Jesus, would you show us what armor we need to put on right now? So I encourage you, just ask the Lord this question. Here's the question. Ask in the quiet of your heart. Let's all just ask the Lord this question. Jesus, is there a lie 
that I'm believing. And if a lie comes to mind, I encourage you just to renounce it. In the name of Jesus, I renounce this lie. And now let's just ask Jesus, Jesus, what's the truth you want to give me in exchange for that lie? So if, if you did that, if you're able to get here, I know this is kind of short time, but you can do this anytime. Here's the deal. What you just did, you just put on the truth. It's how simple it is. You can do this anytime, day or night. We put on the belt of truth. We put on truth. Okay, second area. Second question to ask Jesus. Jesus, is there a temptation that I'm nursing rather than resisting? And if so, Lord, what does it look like for me to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Help me do that, Lord. Help me do that. Help me have the courage to take those steps, whatever it looks like. Third question related to an area of our relationships. Here we go. Just ask, let's just ask Jesus. Jesus, is there a relationship where I am letting bitterness, contempt, anger fester? Lord, would you help me put on, I want to put on right now the gospel of peace. Would you help me bring peace into that relationship rather than letting the enemy continue to wreak havoc? Fourth question, Jesus, is there an area of fear getting stirred up in my life, wanting to spread a wildfire, a grass fire? Lord, I just want to, I want to choose right now to take refuge under your shelter, your character, your promises, your goodness. I choose to trust you. And I pray that you would help me with this fear so that we could contain it. We could just move right through it and not let it kind of keep spreading. Lord, just pray for that with your strength, just refuge under you. So what you just did in that prayer time, a couple minutes here, you just put on the armor. Each one of us, we can do this anytime. We can put on these pieces of armor when we need it, depending on what the battle is, what's going on. So God, help us just to walk in this. Help us just to more and more be strong in you. And I just declare that. I call it forth over every person here, a strength in you, a putting on the full armor of God that we are gonna move forward in this adventure that you've called all of us to. Even if the enemy has derailed us or taken us out for a little while, it doesn't matter. We are, we are back on track. And, and that's the kind of God you are. You're still calling us to this adventure, and we're grateful. 
So we have an opportunity now just to kind of enjoy this moment to declare God's praise in the midst of this through worship and also the Lord's Supper. We have tables set up um, the front and the back. Um, and we encourage you during the time of singing of praise, declaring God's praise, we encourage you to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, you can come. The bread represents Jesus' body. The juice represents his blood at the cross where he disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them. His life is our life. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's remember that. Let's embrace that reality. Jesus is our life and we stand in him. So why don't we stand? Let's stand. If at some point you want to kneel, there's room for that. If you want to give an offering to the Lord, he's stirring in your heart. If you want to receive prayer, prayer team's available. Lord's Supper is available. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We worship you. Set us free to praise you.